Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the show. I'm Scuba. This is the Not A Diving Podcast. Okay, this week on the show, we've got part one of a three-part series covering our live podcasts recorded at IMS in Ibiza last week. So there's going to be two this week and then the final one will be next Tuesday on the regular podcast schedule. And yeah, we were lucky enough to be invited by Ben Turner and the rest of the team to the International Music Summit, aka IMS. This is the second time we've done live events or a live event. We were at ADE last autumn where I recorded a podcast with Ellen Alien, which was a lot of fun and which featured on the feed. You can scroll back and check that out if you want. But last week we did three. Like I said, the guests were DJ Pippi, who features on this episode, Leslie Tapman, who is the head of music at the Night League, who run Ashwire and High, amongst other venues in Ibiza. And then finally, Johannes Guller, who is most famously part of the team that ran Cocoon in Ibiza for 20 years up to 2019. And as we will hear, is doing some new stuff this season. So yeah, it was a really fun few days. I'm going to record a solo pod for the Patreon feed where I describe in a little bit more detail my experiences and my thoughts about IMS and also Ibiza more generally this summer. So if you're not a Patreon member, then head over to patreon.com slash scuba official to join there. There's bonus stuff that goes up. And if you're enjoying the podcast, and that's the best way of supporting us here. But with the three episodes that we're going to release covering the three guests, the three conversations that I had, I'm basically just going to play the conversations as they happened without too much editing. Now, we were sitting outside, I should point out. So there's a fair bit of background noise in these recordings, but we've... Uh, done our best to clean them up and they sound pretty decent I think and each of them were fun in their own way they're three pretty different people 
and three different sort of sets of experiences, particularly the one today with DJ Pippi. Now, those of you who haven't heard of him, he was basically the first DJ to play house music in Ibiza. He's not quite as storied as some of the other classic DJs of that era. For example, Alfredo is probably the most well-known one. But yeah, Pippi was playing at Pasha from the early 80s, then moved to Coup and just has a catalogue of DJing and general partying experiences on the island. So it was great to be able to sit down and talk to him. Now, we were slightly truncated in terms of a timing. It's very different speaking in front of an audience versus just speaking on the phone as I normally do when I record these podcasts and the kind of pressure of audience expectations is very much there. So going over an hour is is tough and this one today is more like 40 minutes or so but it was a really illuminating conversation nonetheless and one that I think you're going to enjoy. So like I said part two of this will be up later this week with Leslie Tapman and then part three will be next Tuesday with Johannes Gurler. And um, yeah, you're going to enjoy all of them, I think. So without further delay, here is DJ Pippi. Welcome to IMS. So a year ago or so, I decided that there weren't enough podcasts in the world and we needed another one. So this is why we're here. We're doing three, one today. We're doing Leslie Tapman tomorrow and on Friday, Johannes Gurler. But today we have a real Ibiza legend. If you can welcome DJ Pippi. How you doing, guys? How you doing? How you doing? So um, we're going to talk about the history of Ibiza and your experiences in it, going back to uh, the 1970s, actually. Before we get started on that, I want to ask you a couple of questions which are more kind of broad-based, more kind of philosophical, which might inform what we talk about later. So um, Andy Warhol said, good business is the best art. And in music, money can be a bit of a problem, actually. And I wondered, how do you feel about the influence of money in music and what money does to art at a general kind of level? Well, back in the day, you still don't have music and money together. It was more natural, more everything, you know, different times. But today, I accept that um, the, the new 21st century is concentrated only on money and, uh, well, and the music after that. How do you feel about that? A little bit sad, but, uh, you know, I understand, you know, I uh, try to go with the times and respect every kind of what happened today, you know. And, yeah, I'm living the best place that I love and, uh, you know. Okay, my second general question was, do you think the concept of sex, drugs and rock and roll is out of date? Probably still there. <laughs> no, no, it's still there. Especially in Ibiza, you never know what happened on the, on the next corner, you know. So, <laughs> I think it's still there. Okay, okay. So, money bad, sex, drug and rock and roll, still here. Okay, so, you're from Italy yes. originally. Yes. And um, I wondered, could you tell us a bit about your, how you, where you where you grew up and what your childhood was like because I mean I've read a bunch of interviews with you but I've never I've really been heard about grown in Italy until my 16 years old and then I moved to Germany and Switzerland so 
is where uh, I learned everything in my life in Germany with music and, uh, you know. So I discovered Ibiza from Germany. So I live in Italy very, very young. Okay, so in, in your time spent in Germany, what brought you into music? Like, what, what got you into oh, it in the first amazing. place when you were a kid? Because it was uh, early 70s, like this, and uh, the music industry in Germany, it was really, you know, uh, I saw a lot of concerts, so it was everything for me, for what I want to dream about, you know? Records, concerts, musicians, all of this. Um, Give me some examples of key concerts that you went to. In the early concerts, 70s. yeah, sure. Oh, everyone from Earth in the Fire, George Clinton, Prince, even Rolling Stone. Normally, I used to listen black music. It's my education. Philadelphia Sound, Motown, all this stuff. But I have seen in, in 15 years everyone, everyone you can imagine, live. I mean, that's the best way to experience music, right? Yes, it was the the most best experience to see great people live. And did you play music? Which you play that music from them, you know, like Earth, Wind, the Fire, or even Bob Marley or whatever, you know, anyone, artist at the time, was top people in the world of music. And did you play music when you were a kid? Did you play instruments? Yes. No, no. I didn't learn, but I know how to handle with the musicians which I do production also. I work only with musicians. Okay, so but your interest in music was primarily then as a fan, as someone who is just... Yes, only. I was not, I don't have any pressure to, to do this, to do that. All my life, all my career I do because I like it and I feel it. And especially you have to have a, a passion to do something nice, you know. Yeah, sure. Okay, so so the the buying of records then was just something that happened naturally. So your record collection. Wow, incredible! And I used to run also record shop in Germany. So okay, okay, hang, hang on a second. That's a bit of a fashion show, uh, record shop, and music at the time. That's a bit of a jump from being a music fan to running a record shop, though, right? Yeah. So so how did how did that how did that emerge? Like how do you go from being a, a young kid? Who's into music well, and going so to... so young, 20, 19... Oh, that's, pre that's pretty young. That's pretty young yeah, to start yeah. a record shop. Yeah, exactly. No, because I, want, I was so much into that, into the music, which uh, the owner say, okay, running the, the shop. That's it. It was <laughs> a, a crazy I mean, that, every weekend. <laughs> people stay out to the door to get to the record what I played last night. Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's another big jump. So suddenly you're a DJ as well. And the same time was a DJ. You know? <laughs> okay, let's, can we st let's step back from this a little bit. So uh, your interest in, not just in music, but as you said, in fashion and in, in the arts yeah. generally, was this something which you knew from when you were young that you were going to yes, do this? Yes, yes, from the beginning. Yeah, sensibility, you know. I have learned fashion already when I was eight years old. Uh, I like to be siler, you know, to make uh, you own clothes. I used to do my clothes yeah. because everyone say where I come from, from another planet, because I just have different <laughs> outfit. Right. You know? From from how up, I was up front of the other. From how what age were you doing that from? I talk about when I was uh, 18, 19. Right. Yeah. 
Okay. Okay. And then, and then fashion is something which is still important to you now? Not so much. I like fashion because uh, from the aesthetic, you know, to see. Because I learned this, I know what about. But no, then fashion, I leave it for the music. I only do. Okay, well, that's DJ I mean, and production. Sure, okay. That's, I mean, that's a, that's a side question. So, okay, so you're running a record shop in, is it, is it Dusseldorf that you were living? Yeah. Okay, at the age of 20. Yes, 20, 21. What does, what does a DJ set look like in the early 70s? Like, how, does, how do you become a DJ? Because, I mean, like, the concept of DJing is very much a kind of, into the last 20, 30 years, in terms of how we understand it today. What was it? Then, the inspiration I, was when I was already 14, 13, we used to do a little party in the basement, you know, with friends. So I remember the uh, first time when I bought the record, the 1971, the 45-inch, you know, 7-inch of our green, let's stay together, or, you know. And we used to do a party from ourselves, from our friends. So we started from the beginning this to do. Uh, and what, technically, what were you playing records on? Because I, I forget when the 1210s were launched, but I don't think they were around in 71, were they? So what we, we do you have a mixer? Like, tell me how you're doing it. Yeah, no, well, in, then it was in Germany, um, 73. And then I used to go in a place where I was a guy called Falco, and it was a uh, really, I was crazy from him, the way he, uh, he spread the music uh, to the people, you know, and the way, and uh, at that time, he, uh, the DJ used to announce the title, you know. On the mic? On the mic. Yeah, during, okay. Uh, but this is what my mom very, thought very I was doing when I told her I was a DJ. Way. He used to do it very sophisticated. So, you know, and uh, I was impressed the way, and then one day, uh, by accident, he missed it. He can come to the club, to the little club, and uh, the owner said, okay, let's play. So this it is your... It was 1973-74. So that was your opportunity? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, from that, everything started. And what were you... I used to do also put to the drinks and play record at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, in the beginning, you know, because I used to play record 90 minutes long or whatever, you know, or 20 minutes long, like, you know, warm up, you know. And so, slowly, slowly, then become really... Can you remember some specific records which were important in those early sets? At the time? Uh-huh. Um, Elkin and Nelson, you know what about? Uh-huh. Yeah. Gibaro. Right, okay. Ext- yeah, extended, extended mixes, right? Yeah, the album version. Yeah. And uh, Samba Samba, they have a man record. I used to, and I discovered at the time also Paco de Lucia, right. Entre Dos Aguas, you know, between two water. And uh, it was a long track, but the people used to dance on that. Sure. You know, flamenco and amazing. Sure, okay. Okay, so and then you know Donna Summer, Cerrone, and uh, all the seventies stuff, disco, even Abba, even Abba, wow. even Abba, Dancing Queen. That's a big tune to drop. Yeah, on any dance floor. It was uh, something special. Come on. 
Also you don't live with this, but I have seen I'm a little bit too young. How the to people <laughs> enjoy the song. I actually don't doubt it at all. I mean, that's a big, big tune. Absolutely. Okay. So, so when did you first come to Ibiza? This was not too long after this period. Right? I discovered Ibiza because friends of mine in Germany say, Bob Marley is going to play in Ibiza live, 1978. So, and I say, okay. I used to, at the time, Bob Marley was for me one of so many others, you know, great. So I decided to come to Ibiza. Okay, let me, let me stop you there. But so Bob Marley at this point is a genuine global phenomenon. Is that, is that, is that the right way of putting it? Like he yeah. was a huge global star, yeah. right? Tell, tell, me about, tell me about that. Tell me about how big Bob Marley was in 19... It was uh, incredible. I used to um, so uh, like black music, you know, but in the same time, I have listened to so many other great music, you know, and when I discovered Bob Marley, it was for me, you know, another, what you knew, discover and get into that groove, you know, to understand what they really transmitize, you know, and uh, I decided to come to Ibiza to see life. They were doing an extended tour which resulted in... The tour in a, was uh, Babylon by Bus. Which then was released was as a live album. Was also live, you know, which part of that album they're recording here. So, and uh, I was impressed. <laughs> I was impressed because it was the um, arena of, tour, uh, of the ball, which it doesn't exist anymore. And full of smoke and marijuana. <laughs> you know, they... All the Jamaican girl used to go to people and give a joint everywhere. And Jolly was, you know, into that vibe, you know. Yeah, I heard they used to smoke, smoke unique, weed, yeah. Unique. <laughs> unique. So since then, I discovered this special energy that beats us. And then I started to come as a tourist every year, nonstop for three, four days. And and the first time when I saw Pacha, I say, that's my place. Where I wish I can play my music because at that time Pacha have bad music. <laughs> really bad music. It was, I don't know. So finally I started to meet people, to make friends. And I just leave it tapes to the owner of Pasha to wish, say, uh, maybe some, someday he called me or whatever, whatever happened. And then finally, 1984. Okay, no, 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 hang on a second, hang on a second. Hang 1984. A second. That's, that's, a, that's a big jump. So the Bob Marley thing was 78, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Right, yeah, okay. And Pasha had opened in 73, I think it yeah, was. it was there, yeah, Pasha it, already. It, 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 it yeah, been there yeah, for five yeah. years. But what kind of person was coming to Ibiza on holiday in the mid-70s. Like, who were the, who were the people in the Great crowd? Great people. <laughs> not massive, not massive like today, you know? Not everyone okay. <laughs> at that time can go to Ibiza. No, only people who understand that situation. You know, it was not... Um, no massive, only great people. But what a few days, a few people from... Italy, a few people from England, a few people of uh, France, uh, more little more people from Spain, and um, it was special people. They came and to create all this vibe during the night. Everyone was 
No VIP, nothing. Everyone was beautiful. And everyone was free to think, to move the way they loved. You know? I mean, Ibiza has a, an image of being a kind of hippie yeah. associated kind of yeah. a place. So is, is, was that the kind of vibe that you're referring to there? Is that kind At of the a- time, more. More than now. More than now. Absolutely. But the mix of people, it was interesting, you know? That was... Uh, make the, um, that special atmosphere at night, you know. And what's always, well, the question is hey, always... You can imagine in the Pasha, you are there and uh, in once, a horse, a big horse come to the door, you know, with a beautiful girl on top of the horse and they just walking during the clap all over and then they go again back and everyone... You know, so a kind of naturally paralyzed garage kind of a yeah, that kind, vibe. That kind. Spanish uh, style. Spanish paradise garage. American, it was not. <laughs> Studio Fifty Four at the time was more special. Right. Okay. But you know, I think the vibe the mu- was there. I think the music was quite bad at Paradise Garage as well. Maybe that was the kind of comparison with with Pasha. But if the music was no, Paradise Garage was great music. Okay. And when I started corrected. to Pasha, finally change the history of everything because I introduced a music style that nobody touched in Ibiza. So, you know, especially black music and funk and... Okay, uh, okay, we're going we're gonna to get there, we're going to get there. Okay. So, <laughs> so, you begin coming here on holiday, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and giving your tapes to people and... So Only for holiday, enjoy the clubs and the people. But the people who were... DJing here in, during your early experiences, yeah. did you, you perceive them to be bad DJs? Bad DJ, because there was not DJs. At that time in Germany, the DJ was already the DJs. In Spain, the DJ was uh, just uh, one guy playing records. You know, no professionality. Uh, maybe one DJ uh, stayed there on the side and do the thing, you know? <laughs> For the benefit oh, of the audio know, audience, he's... Uh, he's no professionality and no style. <laughs> no stylish. You know? No, really. Understood. So. Understood. But, so, so you were looking to bring a... Absolutely. Some, say, some, okay. some German professionalism, essentially. Say, some German efficiency, you might say, to uh, When they say, Spain. okay, we need you now, I take all of my records, thousands of records, I bring to, to Spain. Because, you know, I need my, all my history. Sure. <coughs> okay, so... And then everything starts. So when, we, when was the first time you played it? When was your first 1984, set? 1984, March. Okay. I never forget that At uh, which, which club? Uh, Pasha? Pasha, yeah, yeah. Only came for Pasha. Tell us because ab- it was my dream to play there, you know. Tell us about the set. Do you remember some of the records that you played? Yeah, a lot. Well, <laughs> Crazy Jones, Shade, Matt Bianco. Everything was quality music at that time. To move, you know, to have the, to make people dance throughout this music, which nobody think before to play that music. Right. The only one I was. So. And also the fusion between record and other record 
in different style, not like today you are on fourth of don't don't know. At that time it was that that's part of Balearic the way the DJ play because it we was free to play every kind of record but any moments. Yeah. The right moments, of course, not just play music like this, like a DJ before used to do. No, everything, you know. So I had that as a question, actually. How would you define the Balearic sound like, or, the, or the style of, of doing things? No, the style, you juice yourself that. Oh, right. You feel it and you play that way, you know, without to be, uh, again, doom, doom, doom. But at the time, house music it was still not really boom, boom. You know, it was a disco, funk, or whatever, you know? So that, this mix of the way you played the music was uh, incredible, you know, because you were you was free to play any kind of, uh, any moment. And the people accept every time and recognize what you do, you know? So. What were the peak hours at Pasha? Like, what time did it shut? Four, to, si- four to six. Four to six. And um, I mean three two also, but you know, right. yeah. and it finished at six. Yeah, right. Yeah. F- six seven depends also. It was not really limited at that time. It was full. You continue for an half an hour or whatever. You know. Okay, and ecstasy hadn't become a big thing in eighty four. Yes, a few years later. So, ecstasies mm-hmm. later. Yeah, sure. Much later. Sure. So that that wasn't a, a key part of the of the crowd, or something a key part of the experience. So, um, what what were the what were the drugs that people were doing to stay up till six a.m. dancing to DJ Pippi? Yeah, at that time, you know, when become the first exorcist experience, everyone wants wants to know what happened. Do even me, I say, I need to test to understand. What's going on? What's in, in people's mind? I was not into that, really, but I have to know. So I have to take it and to know. And <laughs> from that time, I decided to don't take it anymore because it was too easy. I say, okay, I can play well music without to take this because I have this special energy. I don't need to take it for, from some drugs, uh, to make that situation or understand sp- specific time at night. You know what I mean, right? So, but I take it, I took it to, to know what happened. What's the difference to play with and without? And that was for me the most important thing I say, I don't need this shit. I can do it myself with my spirit. Yeah, I mean, I think DJing on ecstasy can be a challenge. <laughs> Listen, the whole experience that I have seen in, my, in the club during so many years, the whole DJ become into my DJ booth to play. This happened in the 90s more when promoters started to come to, you know, sometimes came DJ that even could see, even could see to mixer. You know, so high was there, out of control, totally. We've all been there. <laughs> so I didn't like this, but I saw many, many situations. Okay, so my original question was, 
before ecstasy became a big thing, what was, I mean, was there a big drug scene here before yeah, that? Yeah, cocaine, cocaine. <laughs> and LSD, I don't know, you know, all kind. Oh, you know, in Ibiza always was that. Even from the 50, 60, so to go people, but it's it less happen. You know. Sure. I mean, going back to my, my very first question about money yeah. and music. Uh, cocaine is obviously associated with money and was certainly in the 80s, the early 80s, very much a kind of like glitzy money kind of a drug. Did that reflect in the way the clubs were here or the way, the, the way Pasha was? Yeah, especially from me, well, middle 90s to up. Okay, but that's later, right? Yeah, so so yeah, we're talking yeah. about keeping in the, in this period when you first came over, so 84 right. to 88, that kind of mid-80s mid period. You know, you just feel that people, everyone is beautiful, everyone is look, uh, look nice, everyone enjoyed the moment, and that was the feeling, you know, with or without, you know. Right. I don't know if for 500 people, 300 was on cocaine or whatever, you know, I don't know. But you see only nice people enjoy the night, you know. Okay. Sorry for my English, okay, guys? Uh, no, not at all. So, okay, um, between 84 when your, your, your first Pasha sets and the 87-88 Acid House yeah. uh, event, like house music from the US was becoming much more of a big thing and you know, DJs yeah. were playing it. It, it, play wasn't, it wasn't like... 90% US Sure, so, so it wasn't like DJs suddenly started playing house in 87. It was like something which, which built up over time. So can you tell us about bringing that music here? Yeah. Because you were the first DJ to play house Actually, music. Actually, I was the, the first DJ to bring American DJ on, on the island. Especially it was Lenny Fontana from New York City. So... That was a new beginning of something different on the island, which was great, you know. It was the best dance music at the time, you know, uh, for a club, especially for Pasha, which I decided is what's gonna happen there, because I was the only person to have under control everything. They were, you know. So it immediately made sense as a musical style on the island. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay, and you said you were the the only person with a say about what was happening at Pasha. So were you, were you playing? How often were you playing at Pasha by say eighty five, eighty six? Were you how many times a week were you playing? Every day, every day, nine hours. Whoa, nonstop. Really? Not like today. Yeah, part time is today. I mean, you can today. find a DJ, uh, a real DJ today. They play nine hours nonstop. Can be only Sven Fate, you know. <laughs> It can be only Sven Fate or uh, because they, are, they know how to do. But, uh, you know, I'm sorry. New DJ, they don't know because they don't have feedback. They don't have experience. Well, yeah, you have to do it to know how to do it, right? Yeah. You need to you know, accumulate that time, you know, this time spent behind the decks, knowing when to play certain records. And that's something which is, yeah, it's an acquired skill, right? Totally, yeah. It was, uh, but it was easy because you know what to do, you have a lot of records. So, you know, every month I used to traveling around to buy a lot of records. Okay, yeah, so that was a question. Where, where did you have to go to, to get hold of New York, London, Germany, Berlin, Milano at the time, it was really great. All the best shops around the world. So would you travel specifically to buy records? Yes, 
They all come say, okay, here, 5,000 pounds, go. Really? The, yeah. the owner of Pasha would, would pay yeah, for your record? It was me like this. Say, I need record, so money. And um, New York, and London, Milano, you know. This sounds like a good gig. It was, it was okay. <laughs> I don't think not everyone DJ has this experience like me. I'm pretty sure that's true, <laughs> yeah. Too many things, too many. So, okay, I mean, can you remember any specific trips to buy records of the kind that you've just described which stick in your mind? Like, there was, was there a... Places? Places. Yeah, places and, and um, you know, maybe at times that you bought certain records which, which stick out. Like, for example, what was the... What were the key shops in, in New York at that time? Oh, there is so many. Well, there was so many. Um, <sighs> Downtown, downtown records, especially downtown record. Um, many others. I'm sorry, I don't remember so many. Sure, names. sure, sure. And presumably black market in London and many others. You know, disco in in Milano, in Rimini, discoed many in Berlin, everywhere. Everywhere was you know, every country was special to buy records. Holland, Amsterdam. And the availability of records was, was restricted uh, by, by territory, right? Because, I mean, there were um, distribution companies who would have international agreements, but the vast majority of labels would be selling within their own territory, right? Which meant you had to go. Yeah, but people saw, know, they know me what I'm what they're looking for. I was only looking for import records. You know, American, original Pressing all this kind, and every shop okay, I uh, I went. I have all my my I don't know you place where he yeah, put yeah, you right. do yeah, you yeah, record yeah. for you. Yeah. Then you come and say okay. I don't even listen to them. They know <laughs> what what I want. Take it. Well, sometimes so double one for the club, and one for me. <laughs> you <know>? Right <laughs> for the for the really big ones. Yeah, that's why I have so many records. How many records have you got at this point? Uh, uh, I never counted. I have three houses full of records. <laughs> three houses. Too much. Uh, I, you know, so many years. I bought so many records in my life. If I have this money today, I would be rich. <laughs> Buy a castle, you know. But I'm, I'm happy to have this, you know. Because I have my education throughout all this experience. Sure, sure, okay. So I guess during your trips abroad to buy records, you took the, took the opportunity to go to clubs as well and, and see what was happening in... Of course, yes, yeah. So tell me about, I mean, that's presumably how you know there was good music being played at the Paradise Garage, which I'm obviously wrong about. But <laughs> so tell, tell, me, tell, me about, tell me about going to, to one of those classic clubs. Yeah, taking New York as an example. Yeah. What was it like? Great. Yeah, sure. But I like used to <laughs> go there, um, especially to see Frank and Knuckles, and to listen also um, WPLS, where they used to play. Because friends of mine, they used to record in the radio, uh, you know, in tapes. They sent me to Germany to listen different music, you know. And only in New York, I find all this, uh, that record, who Frankie play on the radio station. Say, oh, I want this record. So, you have 
nice record. You know, it was very inspired to, to do this and to, you know, to hang out in the clubs and see. Okay, and Studio 54 you mentioned. I have a plane in Studio 54 just one month before that. Because it was the first Ibiza party in New York City. All right. M management from Pasha, they organized a party. What, what year was that? 87, something like this. Just before they closed it, they put it down. Right. So, so Ibiza then already had an international reputation as a, as a party island. I mean, I always presume, like, presumed, and this was a definitely a very you know, dumb UK-centric thing, that the you know the the summer of 87 and then the kind of i guess the british invasion and all everything that happened after that was the start of ibiza's international reputation as a clubbing as a clubbing place but not the case by the sound of things so it was it was very much somewhere where the the clubs around the world were looking at ibiza as yeah. being important a lot very important especially also for the music eh? because at that time middle 80s until end of the 80s Everyone came to Ibiza to listen what we play also. Eh? And the record that I play uh, used to come out six months later, out officially. So what I play today, next year, what is the high, you know, uh, big, big records. Sure. You know, sure. Always was uh, like this. We used to play record six months before anyone's get. You know, because you have a connection to companies, you know, and they send you. I used to receive a lot of records. A lot of acetate. Right, you know, yeah, acetate, yeah, 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 which yeah. It doesn't exist anymore. Luxury to play acetate, you know. Yeah, those things the wear out. ones else. Mm, they wear out quickly, no? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so um, we're getting up to that 87, 88 kind of a well we marker. have to do until today because it's gonna be no 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 we don't, we don't we're not gonna go all the way My through goodness. no because I have to play at six uh, you were late by the way so you shouldn't be sorry. complaining about it <laughs> anyway we I want to talk about 8788 though because as I said like as a as a Brit we were really told that that was the most important thing that ever happened here yeah. right it, does that have any truth to it Ibiza was the point where everything happened with music and with other stuff, you know. So everyone was looking to, especially to listen the music from uh, from Ibiza, the way they play and the way what they play, you know. And then everyone doing in this country the same, you know. Say, oh, this Ibiza record, this Ibiza record. So it was very important. Okay. And in the aftermath, like from 88 onwards, because I believe you moved clubs in 88. You were playing at Pasha until 88. No, I played three years in Pasha and then I moved to Ku, which is privileged now, mm -hmm. which was an incredible club, you know. Ku was one of the best clubs ever. In fact, yeah, let's talk about that, shall we? Um, yeah. I believe it started off as, a, as an after hours, kind of a small after hours place. No, no, no? no. after hours was Amnesia. Okay. Amnesia. Okay. Right. So who it was a special club, uh, you know, it was not open for very everyone. You, at the time, you used to have a key to get in there. Right. 
not from the um, central door, <laughs> a, a physical but behind, key you had to behind right. you uh, all the v VIP. I say I say so VIP, but it was not just was great people. Everyone has the key to get in the club. How many people had a key, roughly? How many keys existed? Give me a, a 200, 300, 2000? Well, 2000, maybe not, but uh, yeah. Enough for a party. Exactly, exactly. Right, okay. So you can imagine. Yeah. But it eventually became the biggest club on the island, right? Yes. So tell me about the development of that. How did, it, how did that happen? Like, did it just become so popular that they expanded? Or tell me about it. Um... You expanded what you mean. I mean, how did Coop go from this tiny exclusive party yeah. to being the biggest But, you club? you know, the politic of that club, it was not make something to make money. They just do it because they love it. And they put money to, do, to make a great party. You know, invest money to make this place special. It was not, oh, we must do three millions today. No, they just do it because at the time it was like this, you know. And, uh, okay, well, that's an example of money being being good for music, right? It's not it's not all bad. Yeah, well, probably. but I mean, like the, the 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 best clubs in the world are actually all like that, right? They're not run primarily. I mean, they obviously you've got to uh, you've got to wash your face financially. But the best clubs are the ones where the owners are willing to spend money on the sound system, spend money on the dance floor, you know, really put resources into it to make that party. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's surprising then, that you put it like that, that somewhere like that became the biggest venue because it's a huge venue eventually. Yeah, yeah. Right? Today is big. But at that time, it used to don't be so big, you know? It was when it was 1,000 people, it was really extreme. You know, 1,000 people at that time, it was a lot. Compare it to today, today, you know. So okay, it was. Um, so, um, going back to '88, you had moved to Coup, but were you still playing every night of the week? Yes, yeah, every night until uh, 1999. Really? <laughs> you know? Yes. Okay. And how would I mean? And obviously, the the concept of the DJ, as you, you mentioned, that you brought professionalism this German kind of idea of quote-unquote proper DJing to Spain and the presumably all the, the clubs had copied what had been going on at Pasha and this is how this whole thing had developed and um, were there additionally to you playing at places like Kuhn previously at Pasha were there guest DJs guest DJ only yeah we used to open and close the, uh, the club so the guest DJ in the middle Like, you know, first time at Coup, um, the French one. The Laurent, Laurent Garnier. Laurent Garnier and, uh, and from England, Andrew Waterall. You know, the good one. Yeah, rest, the rest, rest in, in peace. peace. Yes. Yeah. So it was a, just a special guest. So started slowly and then until promoter come to Ibiza and do it party. Official night, all all the night, you know. Sure, I mean that was sort of my next question. So, uh, after the '88 season, did you notice like a a big change in the kind of people coming to Ibiza to to party? Was there a change in the audience? Change in the audience, but you realize very slowly, not so from one day to the other days, you know. 
So when uh, the, some English DJ came to Ibiza, so they started to move people, but not the massive, you know? Only the good people used to come for that events, you know, when they play. So, and then after year after year, it started to become more and more, and then it's today. You okay, know. okay, we're gonna get there in a moment. I've got some questions about your opinions about Ibiza today, but just, just before we get there, um, where, um, well, who are the most important UK DJs, in your opinion, to come to Ibiza? I mean, you mentioned Weatherall, but yeah. tell me who, who are the other ones, in your opinion, captured well, the, the, mood, the mood of the island the best? Paul Oakenfold, Danny Rampling, uh, then later. Um, Yeah, uh, I just saw him before. Charles, Charles, Charles Jules. George Jules. Okay, Jules Jules. He became a little later, but you know, and um, especially the people from Azienda in Manchester, they right. bring them to bring the good English one and the good American ones. You know, so sure. Which American DJs? Give me some examples of American DJs who are good here for me mm -hmm. there is many but the most important for my influence is Louis Vega okay yeah. you know Master and Frankie one. of course first Frankie but it's not anymore right uh, Louis Vega still inspired me a lot as a DJ and as a producer okay um, right I actually I'd got ahead of my, myself slightly what I wanted to ask you about was um Mixing, uh, technically mixing records, because you know you mentioned you were the first person here to really like take that seriously. Yeah, who, seriously. Who you know can imagine when I came to Pasha, I play two same record in the same time, but in different beat, in different, you know, and the beach people say, "What are you doing?" You know, they never saw that that you play two record in to make it play and mix great mixes, you know. Who inspired you to mix, though? Who myself. 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 Because it comes. I didn't. I, did, I don't. I don't look others the way they mix. I look myself and my own identity. How to bring the music to people? You know, I think it's the best way to believe in yourself before to believe in someone else that is not your way. You know. Because everyone has a style, has a, a feeling, different feeling, different style or whatever, you know. Do you remember the first time you saw it being done, saw someone mixing records? What do you mean? The, the first time you saw a DJ, someone else yeah. mixing records together. Do you remember the first time? Yeah, that in Germany that I talk about, this guy called, called Falco. Yeah, oh, right, the yeah. way he mixes, uh, amazing. It was also an inspiration, but Everything I do, I do by myself because I believe in that. That moment, I do that that way because of that, of you know. Okay, and then the, the other side of your your personal sort of journey as a musician is, is production. And I was wondering when you realized you wanted to do that seriously, and when you got into doing that. Like, tell me about that side of it. Like when you were in the studio today, you were telling me before we yeah. got started. So like. Tell me about getting into production and what get you interested in. To be 
became producer. It was uh, <coughs> early 90s when I came to New York and produced my first uh, single, which became out in England, number two in the UK, you know. <laughs> we sold 23 million records. Of your first attempt at making a I tune. I love you, baby. <laughs> I sure. love you, baby. You know. I'm familiar with it, yeah. Surely, it surely there was worldwide. Surely there was a journey to get to that point, though. Like, what, what, what brought you musically as an artist to that studio? Like, there must have been some precursor to that, no? Because a friend of mine used to live in New York. It was a producer, and he, he used to come to Ibiza to see me every time, every season. And one day he said, "Pippi, come to New York. We're gonna do some productions." And I said, "Okay, I come." And uh, what was your level of like technical knowledge at that at that point? I mean, did did you know how to? I mean, you mentioned no. I was not musicians, but I had ideas, which you call the musicians and come. Okay, play like this, play like this, like that. That was you. You got the idea. The musician do it the music, you know, and then you put together, and that's it. So was that something that came? to you just totally naturally yeah 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 it was friend of mine also he used to like a fan you know fancy always come to see you but he was already a big producer at the time he sold a million records in france but then we do this production and uh, you know it was uh, unexpected totally we just do the song with love and that's it and then one year later become really huge yeah, that's amazing. So, I mean, going into a recording studio for the first time, it can be quite intimidating, actually. It's a different kind of atmosphere. It's a different environment. No, yeah, there, for, you, you, for you, it's new. You, seem you get in there and you know. But, you know, when I, uh, when I, when I was young, 17, 15, I used to run band also. I used to sing on the band. Oh, you did? Okay. Of well, that's, that's I know how to handle with the musicians, right. you know. So this many things together and you know what to do you know sure okay I mean you do seem like a confident chap <laughs> yes. fair to say <laughs> he nodded yeah so okay let's let's jump forward shall we mention we're not going to go through the whole chronology but let's get up to Ibiza today do you do you think that it's still an important place in the kind of global music scene, the global dance scene. Has been, Ibiza has been important. It's important today and it will be important in the future. Whatever happened. Because everyone says, hey, I'm tired of Ibiza, too commercial, this. But every time he comes back, I say, why you come if you don't like Ibiza? Ah, this is special, this is special. That's what's going on. Ibiza is always there. It's up to you how do you enjoy your time, you know. Why do you think that is? Why is it be for such a Because place? especially Ibiza has a special energy that catch you. Ibiza catch you or they he put you out. You know what I mean? Ibiza takes you or it doesn't take you. You have to go. So, I have this special feeling for the first moment say this is my place okay but it has changed and you've been alluding to how the the audience has changed over time 
and the kind of people who come here now who are maybe slightly different and the kind of attitude of people and how that's changed. So, like, do you think now that, I mean, has something been lost along the way? I mean, you've just mentioned that it's, you've just said that it's still like as, as vital as perhaps it's always was. But I mean, how do you, I mean, how do you kind of like square that circle? You know, how do you, with how you feel about the audience maybe and how you feel about the place? You know, I'm living here. I know very well the island and I know how to get my Ibiza. Because the other side of Ibiza, for me, is too superficial. You know, it's too much. Which I don't want to see that. So I don't see that. So are you referring to uh, VIP and bottle service and all that stuff? Yes. Right. I accept, but I, I don't need to be in a VIP because I'm DJ uh, PP or whatever. You know, I don't care about this. You know, and... This is a pizza today, superficial, money, this, this. But anyway, I like to play in Ibiza always, the best place to play, because if you play the right place, it's nice. When you have a good people in front of you that understand what you're doing, and that's perfect. So I still have this connection. Thank you, God. <laughs> sure, okay. I mean, Going back to the idea of money, do you think that it was just inevitable that more money would flow here because people are, um, because it's a popular destination? Like uh, the the vibe here, like I think when something becomes trendy in an artistic kind of a way, money seems to follow it. You know, rich people want to be involved in that kind of stuff. So do you think it was inevitable that Ibiza would become this slightly sort of financialized kind of a place, if I can put it like that? Well, from one side it's okay from the other side I don't I don't think it's, it's nice because it's too much interest on money and money make money you know so some more money you do some more you want you know but that this this today global thing is a global thing you know it's not only Ibiza you know sure I've got one more question okay. one more area anyway I want to talk about so as we mentioned um, you brought professional DJing to Ibiza but you know in the last 20 years particularly DJs have become rock stars or celebrities right do you think that's a good thing overall for music that this is this kind of celebrity culture thing has kind of overtaken we've gone kind of like you know full circle from where you started off as and now it's just honestly for me it's too much overrating too much you know too much especially today with all if you don't have half a million followers you are nobody damn (laughs) damn (laughs) you know that's the way it is you like it or not that's uh, what can I say you know but is it but I respect you know what happened I do my thing which works and uh, enjoy my island, and enjoy the people who come here to see me or whatever, you know. And that, that's the most important for me. Okay. I live in the best island. Okay, well, you've got to go. So let's have a round of applause, please, for DJ Pippi. Thank you, guys. Yeah, that was a conversation with DJ Pippi. What an interesting guy. What a charismatic bloke. Obviously, he's from Italy originally as we touched upon 
in the conversation, but been in living in Ibiza for many, many years and um, very strident in some of his uh, <laughs> some of his views. As I mentioned at the top, it's very different doing one of these in front of an audience, especially an audience outside versus doing it on the phone. I could have gone way, way deeper on so, so many of those issues had we just been doing it one-on-one or on the phone or whatever. But I think we got some good stuff out of him nonetheless, and it was really great to be able to do it. And it's great to be able to do stuff at IMS too. So, yeah, thanks to all the team there. Thanks to Ben Turner and thanks to everyone else who gave us the invite to spend three days at Destino in Ibiza, which is a lovely hotel, by the way, and they put me in a nice room, which is very nice of them. (laughs) Really, really nice room, actually, which made the whole thing extremely enjoyable so yeah like i said i'll do a roundup on the patreon feed later this week talking about my views and experiences in a little bit more detail but part two of this ims special covering the conversations will be up i think on thursday or probably friday maybe friday possibly thursday with leslie tatman which was a really fun conversation and went quite a bit longer than this so yeah i'm gonna shut up and get out of here see you later this week for part two of this IMS special of Not A Diving Podcast. Thank you. Let's go, cool, wow.